D.L. Moody once said that it, is an un- that it is an unfortunate thing that pastors will never know how Jesus would have spoken at a funeral because Jesus abruptly ends everyone he attends. Whether it be this one or uh, John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus, a funeral is never completed when Jesus is there as the dead just keep getting raised. For, and, but fortunately, what Jesus does at these funerals teaches us far more than we could learn from him even giving a message by the truths revealed by what he does. And I, for one, am glad by the way this works out. Last week, we discussed Jesus' famous example of the wine and the wineskins. And it appears that this very conversation was cut short uh, by this narrative that we're reading today. As verse 18 says that while he was saying these things to them, that this man approaches Jesus. Now, we know from the parallel accounts of this passage in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8 that this man's name was Jarius or Jarius. And it says here he was a ruler in the synagogue, implying that he was probably the highest ranking religious official in a town like Capernaum where this took place. And as we'll find out, his daughter has died and Jesus seeks and seeks out Jesus to revive her. Now, Matthew's account is rather abbreviated because in both Mark and Luke, uh, this woman, this girl, this young woman uh, dies halfway through the narrative rather than at the beginning. So is that a contradiction? No, no, it isn't. It's a, it's a, way, it's a way of abbreviating the story. We all talk like that. this. We all tell stories like this. So this is um, really nothing relevant in terms of that, as we all edit our stories for time from time to time, where Mark and Luke simply flesh out the story with more details. But tragically, Jarius's story is not unique. At this time in history, almost half of all children died before reaching adulthood in that era. Let that sink in for a second. I know many of you have children. Imagine that for a second. Imagine almost half of them. That's tragic. And though it was far more common back then than it is in modern times, that didn't make it any easier. No one ever gets used to losing a child. No one ever gets used to losing any loved one. The sting of death was still there. And as he approaches Jesus, this Jarius character, with great urgency, he kneels before him and pleads for Jesus to do something. And there's a beautiful play on words here. Did you guys catch it? A ruler came in and knelt before Jesus. Interesting play on words there. You know, we all think that we're in a high position of power until we realize how helpless we are against something bigger than ourselves like this. When a loved one is sick, when we get sick, when a loved one passes away, when when the finances just don't make sense, suddenly even the hardest of atheists realize the authority of God and his sovereignty and our need for him, that we don't have it as together as we think we do. 
And I had the unfortunate privilege to be at a funeral earlier this week. And, you know, people like to pretend that they have all the answers to life's questions until a day like that arrives, don't we? And I find it interesting that the funeral is really the only thing that happens to everyone where the minister is still invited and wanted. Have you guys noticed this? I mean, we've pushed out, you know, ministers and ministry and God stuff and church stuff out of our culture entirely. I mean, today people are getting married by Elvis. People are getting marriage counseling by some 23-year-old kid with a degree they just got. Or somebody who's been divorced for three times. But the one place where, (laughs) even in pulpits all over the country, true shepherds are being replaced by mere motivational speakers. Giving a nice peppy message, but ignoring the gospel. Ignoring what the scriptures actually say. But yet when somebody passes away, when the gravity of something this serious hits us, we don't reach for Elvis the Entertainer, do we? No, we don't want to. That, we, that, that is utterly insufficient. Because even, even, though, even, the, even people who are lost in that day want a minister. Because even in our increasingly secular culture, even they realize that the only place, the only thing that has answers on a day like that is the Bible, is the gospel. It's the redeeming message of Christ and the promise of eternal life. The rest, you could search the whole world and not find a single other adequate answer to that question. So there, they, like Jarius, people all over the world kneel before Jesus looking for some kind of comfort and assurance that only God can give. And from his knees, Jarius says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. You know, I love the confidence in the faith that this man has. Yeah, he doesn't quite have the faith of the centurion that we discussed in the last chapter, where he's like, no, 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 Jesus, don't even come follow me. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. No, he doesn't quite have that kind of faith, but it has the same end result, doesn't it? The person who has great faith and the person who has some faith both received a healing in this, in the, in this gospel. And I love that because that tells us, you know, we don't have to have everything worked out. We don't have to have our theology perfect and every minor non-essential thing ironed out for Jesus to come and touch our lives. But rather that we reach out to him with whatever understanding we have and trust that to Jesus. It's why later Jesus would say that you don't need the faith, that you only need rather the faith the size of a mustard seed because it's not, it doesn't matter how much you have. It matters where you place it that makes all the difference. See, I don't need to have faith in myself that can move mountains. I need to have faith in the one who can move mountains. You guys see the difference? I'll elaborate more about that in a little bit. But on the way to this healing, we have this interesting narrative within a narrative beginning in verse 20, where it says, and behold, a woman who had suffered 
from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Now, some have suggested that this discharge must have been from perhaps a tumor or some kind of disease from the uterus. We can only guess. We can only speculate because we can't exactly send a doctor back in time. But one thing we are sure of is what this would have meant for her, for her life personally. How this would have affected her life practically. As we read in our first reading, this would have made her ceremonially unclean. Now, that's different than sin. Nobody would have said she was sinful. But this would have had effects that would have affected her socially. Because of this, she would have been barred from social gatherings or any other kind of public worship even. Guys, could you imagine not being able to go to church for 12 years? How horrible would that be? When, when that's your culture, when that's your home, and these are your people, these are your brothers and sisters, this is your community here in South Amboy, guys, and being removed from it for 12 years. How isolating would that have been? And how shameful and embarrassing it would have been because of the nature of why. And some have speculated that the only thing worse than this could have been leprosy. So just put that in the back of your minds is how desperate she must have been. But she, and in her desperation, she holds on to hope that if I just can touch his garment, I will be made well. Now, where on earth did she get that idea? You can't show me a scripture that would have pointed towards where she would have gotten that idea from. It doesn't exist. It, it seems she just conjured that this up from some superstition of what she had to do to, to be healed. Because there, there, there is nothing special or significant about the tassel of Jesus' garment that this was likely referring to. Because Jesus, from the other Gospels, we read that he was being pressed on by every side. Tons of people were touching him. But power only went out from him once. So it wasn't the fact there, the, the physical act of touching him. Something else is going on here. Because the power isn't in the object. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ. To heal, to change, and to save. You know, I I always find it fascinating how a handful of people have approached me to bless this, that, or the other thing. And uh, somebody just this week was asking me about blessing their house. And, 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 and so that the power of God could be in that object or in that home. And... There's no other way to say it. You know, it's a pagan idea that you could place the power of God into a relic or into an object or into a place as if, as if the minister has the power to do that. As if I'm any different than you guys. There's, there was no holy light when I got ordained. I can promise you. <laughs> it was just, I... Walk into one room, I walk out the room, the same John Motley. There was no light shining down from heaven, no voice of the archangel shouting or trumpet sounding. 
I'm still just a regular guy. (laughs) I don't have power to place power into objects. But when you understand that that's a pagan idea, it starts to make sense of where this comes from. Too many people these days, you know, I understand wanting to pray for your home. Please, by all means, do that. Pray for success in whatever it is that you're doing in life. But there's, you can't place power into it, into an object. Too many people are looking to objects for their solutions rather than to the person of Jesus Christ. So if you get nothing else from that discourse, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Now, returning back to our text, uh, the word for made well throughout this passage could also mean saved. And that makes a big difference in our text. Now, I'm not going to go off on some huge tangent getting into the original languages or not, so be at peace. But there is a word for healed in the original language that Matthew was writing in. They had that in their language, and they didn't use it. Why? It's very interesting. Why do they use the word for saved? Now, from all that I've read, it seems like, uh, it seems like Matthew and Jesus, who would later use this word as well, is hinting that this woman is about to receive a deeper healing than merely the external or merely the physical. But we'll, well, actually, let's dive right into that in verse 22. That says, Jesus turned and seeing her, He said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. I love that. It's such a beautiful passage, what Jesus says here. Calling her daughter. That not only by her receiving this healing, is she restored to society by healing her of this this ailment, but she's now part of the family of God calling her daughter and saying, your faith has made you well or your faith has saved you. And we've talked about this in the past, so I'm not going to dive deep into this, but it's her faith that has saved her. Her simple understanding that she just had to go with Jesus and encounter him in whatever way that she could conjure up in her mind and she would be saved by faith. Faith, of course, meaning, you know, believing what you believe and acting on it. We exercise faith every day, whether we realize it or not. And not even of the things of God, but the things of man. You guys are all exercising a great deal of faith right now by sitting in these pews. I mean it. How many of you guys sat, when you were sitting down, tested it to make sure that it worked? really leaned into it, like pressed down with your foot or put a whole bunch of weight on it, dropped all the Bibles on it to make sure that it would hold you. No, you guys by faith sat down, trusting that it had the weight to hold you. That's practical faith. You, ha- you believed something and you acted upon it. That's faith. That, that's what it means. So if she didn't have faith, In Jesus, if she didn't believe that Jesus had the answer, she wouldn't have gone to him. She went to him because she believed. And so the question turns back to us. Do you believe who Jesus says he is? If you do, your actions will reflect what you believe. 
what I mean by that is that many people observe Jesus from afar, but aren't actually touched by him. Don't actually reach out and touch him. You know, we maybe you come to church, you come to our events, you you sing the hymns that we sing, you come to our events, you remark on the pastor's public speaking skills, or lack thereof, I'll admit. We remark on all these things, we observe all these things, but have you truly experienced him? Do you lean on him the way you are leaning upon these pews right now? Is he supporting you even more than these pews are supporting you now? Has he changed your life? Do you desire to know him? And if that's not there, you might just be a religious observer or a passive bystander and not a Christ follower, not an actual Christian. And that's a heavy thing for me to say, but Jesus warns us that, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the, are, is the way that leads to life and few are those who find it. If you believe the reports of how many Christians there are in this world today, you wonder, was Jesus wrong? Or perhaps... Maybe some of us aren't as genuine as we believe that we are. Maybe we're, instead of being believers, we're a bunch of make-believers. You know, trusting in an institution or attendance or something like that, rather than actually trusting in what Jesus has done for us and allowing ourselves to be touched by him. Because nobody becomes a Christian by mere attendance or observance of these things, but by reaching out in faith any more than somebody becomes a car by sitting in their garage. It's about your identity. It's about who Jesus has changed you to be. It's about what really matters to you, and it's about what you really believe is really real. So if that describes you, all I can say is reach out like this woman did. Pray to him. Commit yourself to him. Ask him to be Lord of your life and follow him. And just as this woman experienced a change beginning immediately after she touched Jesus, so Jesus begins a change in us the minute that we reach out to him. So with that being said and with her narrative being completed, we return to that original narrative that we started this with, with verse 23, that says, and when Jesus came to the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. Now, what on earth is happening here? Flute players? A crowd? A commotion? What's going on? Essentially, the, the, the funeral has already begun for this young woman. You know, it was... The flute players were part of a team of professional mourners who were essentially paid to weep and wail and make all kinds of dissonant noise um, on behalf of the loss of a family member. Now, I got a lot of opinions about this, and there's tons of cultural context, but we just have to park it there for the sake of time and just say it was a cultural thing that everybody did. 
and we'll have to leave it at that for good, for bad, or for nonsense. But the fact that there was a crowd here and not just one or two people speaks of how wealthy this man was because him and his estate could afford a crowd of people to mourn for his loss rather than maybe two or three people for a poor person at that time. So in response to this, seeing this crowd, in verse 24, Jesus says, uh, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. <laughs> you know, throughout the scriptures, sleep is used as a metaphor for death. You know, even in the Old Testament, you will read about kings resting with their fathers. And in the New Testament, they take this idea and they really run with this idea of sleep being this metaphor for death. And it's a fitting metaphor because it, it highlights the temporary nature of death. Because you think about it, you think of sleeping. What's implied when you sleep is you wake up. Sleep is temporary. It doesn't last forever. And our hope as Christians that is that even though we will sleep in Christ one day, we will wake up in glory, in the presence of God, safe on the other side. Just like our beloved Carolyn did just this week. That is our hope. Our hope is not what happens necessarily on this side of eternity, but what comes on the other side. That even if it's not God's will to heal us, we must remember that death comes for all of us someday. But our hope is what happen, is the peace and security and assurance that we have when that day comes and where we are immediately going to be next. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, we don't weep like those who have no hope because we do. We have deep, powerful faith that this world around us cannot possibly understand without knowing Christ. And yes, it still hurts when we suffer a temporary loss, but we have hope that it's not eternal. It's not permanent for those of us who are in Christ. So, of course, these professional mourners didn't get the picture, and they laughed at him. Shows you how heartfelt and focused they were on their mourning, right? There will always be scoffers and mockers that don't understand it. Who don't see what Christ is doing. Who don't see and anticipate what Christ is going to do next and they just laugh. Now what's absurd is what was when that happens from the church. When people who go to church, fellow Christians, mock other Christians for having the audacity to believe Jesus might do something. I mean, I swear, some Christians act like Christ is still in the grave. Like there is no resurrection. And my goodness, the, the pushback we got for reopening this church two years ago. The pushback we got from some people for re keeping the food pantry going. The, the things that were said about the church and about you guys for having the audacity to attend during a pandemic. It's, it's crazy, but that didn't stop you. That didn't stop us because we saw what God was doing. And we were led by him. We saw a bigger picture that others weren't able to see at that time. 
And God absolutely honored that trust. You guys know, you guys have seen some of the fruit of that ministry. You guys were here for so much of that. And you guys are aware, not a single person got sick through this church or through any of the ministries connected to it. Praise be to God. I'm getting off on that tangent. We must move forward. Uh, Jumping back into our text, verse 25. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And report of this went throughout all that district. I, I love reading the Gospels because everything is backwards. In the flesh, none of this text makes sense. In this one paragraph, we have a ruler on his knees. We have an unclean woman made clean by touching someone. It's supposed to be the other way around. And, and, and then Jesus touches a corpse, and again, that's supposed to make him unclean, and the person gets raised to life. Wow! And guys, if you commit your ways to the Lord, you will experience this backwards effect. Things will happen in your life that don't make sense. You will be pushing forward when other people are retreating. You will be having peace in your life when all of the news stations say you should panic. That's the peace that God offers us as Christians. A peace rooted in the fact that we know who God is. We know his plan for us. We know what he has commissioned us to do. And we know that he's sovereign, that he's in control, that no matter what happens on this side of eternity or the other side, it's our loving father who has this all in his control and it's all trusted into his very capable hands. So one final thought about this canceled funeral and then I'll work towards my conclusion. I believe Jesus must have hated death because of where it came from. Because it has its origins in sin. Because before sin entered the world, going back to the early chapters of Genesis, there was no pain. There was no suffering. And there certainly was no death. Nor would there have been until the entrance of sin. And sin is the cause of death. And Christ is no, is fully aware of the damage that sin does. Death being the most visual representation of it. Which is why at every funeral we attend, our souls scream out, something isn't right about this. Something's wrong. Something's off. This this separation ought not be. Because it isn't. But as we learn from this narrative, we see that Jesus has power over death. And more importantly, it foreshadows when Jesus himself will confront death face to face again one day, personally on the cross. And this time he doesn't just temporarily reverse it. Because every person that Jesus raised back from the dead eventually did die again someday. But he, this time when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't reverse death, but once and for all defeated it. Taking away the sting of death, which is sin. 
bringing away the finality and the, the uncertainty of death and giving us this eternal security and assurance of where we are all of able to go someday through Christ. J- John Mason Neal once said that no longer must the mourners weep nor, de- nor call departed children dead. For death is transformed into sleep and every grave becomes a bed. I love that quote because that is the power of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Where he laid down his life to forgive you of every sin you have ever committed, past, present, and future. So that when the day comes where we stand before God, there needs not be a single obstacle separating us from God. Because the sin that brought that separation has been taken away by those of us who believe and those who repent and those who seek him. So that if you are in Christ, you have full assurance that when this day comes for each of us, we so too can enjoy the peace and joy and pleasures forevermore, as the psalmist wrote, that exist and await for us on the other side. Thanks be to God for this blessed hope. Amen.